Good morning. You're listening to My Rapids Real Estate Show on AM 1320 WFHR, your weekly radio show focusing on real estate, the market, and everything related to housing in central Wisconsin. So, Myron, with the amateur radio stuff, how did you get into it? Oh, boy, I didn't pour coffee and put my feet up for this at all. Okay, nutshell. Oh, nutshell. Oh, okay. Not the Jurassic version. Oh, we're not going to go Jurassic. Okay. <laughs> Back in the... I was one of those where I came from the you know, the high school kid on the CB thing. Uh, a buddy of mine actually got his license when he was a junior in high school, and he was a year ahead of me. So I, I had been exposed to it you know, as a teenager in high school, and then going through college too they had an explorer post based out of where i grew up at at the county sheriff's department and we were tagged as an emergency services group so we had the opportunity to shadow the sheriff's deputies and participate in search and rescue trainings and things like that and one of the things they offered was getting your amateur radio license and at that time there was a course offered that you had to be able to to get the privileges current technicians had now in order to get on the air, you had to pass the novice level test and the technician level test. And I remember it was $7.35 per attempt back then. So this is 1998 fees. So it goes back a ways. So I took the classes and I sat through the novice and the technician. It was all one combined workshop. And it was every Monday night for it was either six or eight weeks. I, I don't remember right offhand which it was. But by the time I was done, then in May of 1998, I got my license. And then I upgraded my license to general in 2003. It was early 03, and that was when, and it was kind of interesting because in 1998, when I got my license, I got my call sign the same week I passed my basic emergency medical technician national registry exam. Then fast forward to 2003, I upgraded to my general class in February of 03. I took a workshop down in Madison. They did a two-day license workshop at UW Space Place. They still do them down there, so I'm going to plug them while I can. And, they're, and they were awesome. I can't say enough good stuff about them. They were very good folks with getting, making sure you understood what was going on. The examiners were great. I mean, testing, you had the jitters anyway, just because of what they are. But they were very good with it. And that was in February of 2003. Then I was in paramedic school at the time, so I got my paramedic license that year. So I'd been kind of shadowing each other the whole way here. But then a year ago, I upgraded to extra. You know, it was at field day, and that's something we do every year, too. And I tested and took my extra class test and passed at that one. So it's it's been fun. A lot of stuff over the years in because I kind of came from the public safety pedigree, too. I went to school originally to be a police officer way back when, and then I took basic EMT because you had to take first responder as part of your police program. And then I got talked into taking EMT, and I got done with school. I'm like, I think I like being an EMT more than being a popo. So I went to went into the, the EMS side of things, and then kept rolling from there. So... I've always dabbled into the the areas racy side of things, the emergency side of things, and the emergency management side of things. So I've had a lot of secondary education and trainings with that. A lot of the the FEMA courses and everything from how to take care of your animals in a storm to how to mitigate potential future disasters and, and all points in between. So it's it's been, I found it rewarding. A lot of folks I've talked to over the air, I've heard a few celebrities on the air that are hams, and I haven't talked to them. I've heard them, but they haven't worked them. Because usually when you get, like, Joe Walsh and the Eagles when he's on the air, you're not going to get him. There's, there's a pileup that'll take forever, and usually he gets off the air before the pileup's even fully done. But you hear someone like that, wow. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like we do. And it's and I always find that kind of interesting. It humanizes them. Mm-hmm. But I find stuff like that very fun. Um, for a while, I had commuted. I lived up in the Wasa area, and I was crazy enough to commute to Milwaukee when I worked 
for Bally Ambulance as a paramedic. And I had a high-frequency radio in my car at that time. There was a guy in Kuwait I'd talked to when I was going to work in the morning. So it was 4 o'clock in the morning here. It was later in the day there. So it was very interesting, especially in the winter, because the concept of snow was so foreign to him that I couldn't wrap his mind around that yet it was that cold that it doesn't rain. So it was. It made it for very interesting discussions of them because he didn't understand. He knew, you know, like ice you put in your drink to cool your drink. But I couldn't get it through his head that ice could fall from the sky too. So it was just it was stuff like that. It made it made very long rides very interesting. So and I enjoy it, and I always have enjoyed it. So it's it's been good. Were you able to pick out your call sign? Because you guys have mentioned that you know you use your call mm-hmm. sign. So I mean, obviously you're not calling up and saying, "Hey, this is Mike. What's up?" Um, there's I know there's certain rules. So were you able to pick out your own call sign, or are you just assigned to it? Yes and no. When you first, and I know it's typical talking around myself, but the way it works when you initially get your license as a technician, you get what's called a systematic call assignment. So you get whatever is next in the system. So whatever it might be. If for some reason you don't like the call sign, it just, it doesn't fit you. You just just can't say it correctly. You can't say it's a mouthful of consonants that you can't make add up to save your life or whatever the case is. You have the option of getting a vanity call sign. And the technician and general level operators can get one by threes and two by threes call signs. One or two letters, then a number, and then three letters after it. If you're an extra, you can get a whole bunch of other different call signs. Those are called vanity call signs. That's where Mike got his from. His There's a whole backstory in his call sign. but uh, And his, that's not meant for the air Yeah, right we're, we're not going to go there. But, like, mine was actually the one that was systematically assigned to me in 1998. Um, Mike had a different, it was KD9EBW or something like that. Yep. And one night... I was sitting at work. He was sitting there talking. Like, well, I wonder if this is, and sure enough, it was. And that's how he got that one as a vanity call. So say you want to get your initials as a call sign. You can. It's just a matter of, one, if the call sign is available, and two, if you have the right license level to get said call sign. So it is definitely out there for you. So the first letter in your call sign, mm-hmm. does it relate to the state that you're licensed in? Country. Anything in the United States, if you're a U.S. citizen or you live in a U.S. territory, you'll have the letters A, N, K, or W as the first character. I was going to say you're a K and you're a W, so I mean, I'm catching on to your name tags. Yep. And like if it's the letter A, there's a second letter with it, no matter what. So anywhere AA through AI typically is what you'll find. Once in a blue moon, you see an AH or an AH is Hawaii, AL is Alaska. Uh, but that's all you'll usually see for the A's. Otherwise, the NK's and W's can be just the letter and then a number. And the number is commonly, you know, at the time of licenses being issued as a new call sign, is a region of the country you lived in. Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana are region nines. So that's why we have the nines and R's. You go across the Mississippi River to Minnesota, you're going to have a zero call sign. So instead of a nine, it's a zero. You go into the UP of Michigan and you live up there and you take your test, your call sign is going to have an eight in it. So it just depends where you live at the time of the license being issued. Now, I could go now with the vanity system and I could get something totally off the wall and I could have a one region call sign if I wanted to. But it was up until the vanity system and it got easier to keep your call sign was a thing. Whenever you moved, say I got myself a job in... Uh, Georgia, for instance, I would have to get a new call sign and then I have a region four call sign because that's the area I was in. But now I can keep my call sign wherever I move to. So it's gotten a lot easier that way. So you don't have to suddenly learn a new call sign and, and go that way. And then there's also call signs around the world. Um, so the United States has our FCC that is our regulatory body and there's agreement 
many other countries to use those same radio frequencies and to have similar call sign allocations too. So I follow a guy on the YouTube, um, OH8STN, and he's in Finland. Just randomly, one of the guys I follow. And it's just kind of interesting to see his, you know, YouTube videos on how he uses amateur radio too. So... Yeah, there's another operator I've worked a few times, SO2R was his call sign, he's in Poland. But every country has a different prefix set, and it's usually some combination of letters. There's some countries that start with a number, where it's a number, a letter, another number, and then some letters too. And those usually throw you for a loop, because unless you can pick up the big thick accent, you think it's somebody on there messing around and they're not operating legally. But then... Use your handy dandy app that you can run call signs on, and well, sure enough, they're legit. The other thing you can run into too, um, talking about different methods of of doing ham radio. Uh, there's also uh, we use it all the time. It's uh, called an all star network, which is basically like a marriage of the internet, telephone, uh, data, that kind of thing, uh, where you can go in on a radio through a computer, through the system, through the internet and come out on the other end into another part of the network where somebody's actually tuned in. Uh, it's like similar to going into, say, a chat room in the old chat room days. So I, we would all go and get on this particular network, and we'd all be logged in and talking to each other. And, um, and then other people could join in. Then we can actually bridge those to other rooms or to other, other networks. We can actually end up with one, 200 people in there from anywhere in the world. And so it's not unusual uh, in, in the network we like to connect to in uh, Oklahoma. So, for instance, they have people coming in from Singapore, people coming in from, uh, well, from Europe in a couple of different locations. Um, but, yeah, they're coming in from all over the world. And yet they're, they're kind of using that Internet to bridge those gaps now, which is really cool when you think about it. Because it's not just radio. It is radio, but it's not just radio anymore. It's just a combination of things. Because if you can do digital, you can get on and go over the internet, and and then so, in combination, that can actually work for you. The other thing is you can work remotely. So one day I'm I'm listening on the radio and I dialed into a frequency on 40 meters, I think it was, and all of a sudden I had an Israeli call sign calling me. I'm like, well, this is interesting, and. Uh, so so I answered, and we got talking a little bit, and well, how's the weather over there? And he's telling me the weather's great and everything else. I thought, wow, I hate Israel, right? I got all the way to Israel. No, he was operating remotely. They had some kind of, he could, through the Internet, operate a ham radio, and I think it was in St. Louis. And all of a sudden, and so he's talking out of St. Louis. So in reality, I was actually hitting St. Louis, but talking to the guy in Israel. But that's how cool the combination with internet and data and all that can work for you. So ham radio, yeah, it can be radio strictly or it can be a combination of things. And so it makes it so much fun. It's a lot of different flavors. Uh, but even like you mentioned with the advent of the cell phone, uh, something on the cell phones everybody can use, that's uh, called Echolink. And it's using the data. If you can reach a cell tower, I can talk into my phone over a ham radio and talk to people, say, in a network or on repeaters uh, locally. So if I don't have my radio and I'm traveling, I can pick up a phone and actually talk to those people locally that way. Um, we, we do that, and you can do it. In our case, we've got that linked up with uh, the All-Star Network, so we're multiple, multiply linked to each other in many different ways, repeaters, radios, and the Internet. Uh, and that combination gives you just amazing flexibility. Uh, we did storm spotting. I'm coming back from Chilton. I'm in Chilton, Wisconsin. And we're all communicating on a storm watch here in Wood County. But I could talk to them from Chilton. So that that really made, it's interesting where ham radio went and, and what it used to be to where it's gone to. And in some cases, they don't even have that ability at the county. The sheriff can't talk locally to the county here, not unless he's on his cell phone talking to dispatch. He can't pick up his radio and make that. That distance. He can't do it because they're not hooked that way. Well, that used to be the case. Now I think there's a possibility. Are they in Wisconsin yet? They're not in Wisconsin, but they've always got the 
direct option because they can bypass through if you're going to go direct with the car. Yeah. Uh, a lot of... I mean, at a distance. It, at a distance, Wiscom is a thing. It's just a matter of whether or not the county is an active subscriber into it because right. there's some mutual aid stuff that they're allowed to use, but right. then you got to be a paid user for some other stuff. Right? Right. So, so they're, they're kind of just getting into it at the public service level for different reasons, you know. Well, and I, I think that speaks to a lot of the technologies that we're used to now, uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and, you know, your phone's doing so much, you know, sending email over a phone. I remember I couldn't do that in 2004, 2005, really. Right. Um, but so much of this technology and how the cell phones all link up with their antennas and, and towers and all that jazz was really because the amateur radio service was a bunch of people who were curious about, can I do this? And they were tinkered around with it. So now it's just evolving even more. And that's that's really the hallmark of ham radio. It's always been considered an experimental service. We can go inside the radios and work on things, and we can make things happen, connect things. Uh, it, it's experimental by nature, so it's, it's kind of a cool hobby to be into. Um, although these days with the expense of the radios, I don't encourage people just to open those up and start start <laughs> removing things or adding things, but there are people out there that do it. Well, and some of the old technology, maybe from the 30s, 40s, 50s mm -hmm. with, you know, glass vacuum tubes, all that stuff, yeah. they still work. And, you know, that's a whole nother genre part of the hobby. Um, talk about parts of the hobby. We have frequencies along the spectrum that are allocated to our use. So like we talked about the HF, um, sort of like the AM radio. And there's the VHF and UHF, so kind of like your uh, normal top 40 radio stations would, would use. Then it goes up from there as well. And um, in the same frequency general ranges that like cell phones use, so that those higher, 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 higher frequencies, ultra high and whatnot, and then even microwave. So kind of the same radiation stuff that cooks your food sometimes, or those microwave satellite dishes that's also part of our hobby. We can go up in that spectrum too. Mm -hmm. um, and I've heard of people talking to like the space station. So. Yeah, people talking to the space station as well. And even take your hobby. You, you have another hobby of uh, doing the, uh, the flying. Yeah, with the drones. With the drone. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, can actually, you can actually take and tune that in with the ham frequency in that drone range though. As I recall, there's a, a spectrum of frequencies that you can use for remote controlling things, but it's a, a ham spectrum. Sure. Um, so, and, and then it's like um, there's amateur TV mm -hmm. as well, and, yep. and you can put that signal over the radio wave. Yeah. In fact, the space station, that's a good example. Uh, when they fly over, a lot of times they're, they're actually sending out a, a signal, which is maybe a photograph of a planet or some, you know, maybe it's a photograph of Earth. And as they're flying over, you can receive that. And then, uh, and then print it out, and then you've got it printed out. You've received it from the space station. And other times you can take and talk to them. So one part of the hobby that I enjoy is the social aspect of it and getting together with local people to do the same thing. Um, sometimes we call it Elmer, you know, being the Elmer and helping the new people or just conversing back and forth and trying different things. Um, so getting together with a group of people for... Uh, let's say what a field day, you know, so mm -hmm. we've got those types of activities. So um, like field day and winter field day, what are, what are those about? Well, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, <laughs> the way field day, field day is kind of its own animal. Winter field day is a little different. Field day is officially billed as an emergency preparedness exercise. We're supposed to be able to test out, make sure your stuff works. You're supposed to set up at remote areas and, and make as many contacts as you can. Spend the day out in the field with your gear? Yes, hence field day. Well, as time has evolved, a lot of people take that also as a contest opportunity on the air, too. And that's fine because everybody's on the air, so you can get a very good picture of how well your equipment's working and how well it is and all that. So a contest to see how many People yes. you can contact? Make as many as you can and basically as many contacts in as many places as you can. But then you have, and some folks are hardcore into contesting and that's fine. 
that's that's their little niche that they choose to do in the hobby and that's cool i absolutely god bless them they have more motivation than i do when it comes to that <laughs> I, I like hitting the button and talking to somebody and throw up an antenna and play and i don't get into the hardcore well i have to make a thousand contacts that was my total fail no <laughs> i get on the air and i talk to somebody if i talk to one person it's a good day if i talk to nobody yeah i probably messed up but it just it, that's the way i roll with it but field day is a combination of the on-air operating. Then the other half of it that a lot of people use it for is an opportunity for the Elmering, like you're talking about, the, the mentoring new hams or people who aren't hams and might want to get involved with it or people who are hams and haven't been on the air for quite some time that are maybe thinking about dipping their toe back into it to see how things are working. So that's when you offer... Like with, with our setup, we have it as a glorified open house for what we can do. So we have a setup in one area where it's mainly voice operations. Then another place where it's the digital things that Mike was talking about, the FT8, the FT4, Olivia, GT65, you know, whatever the case is. And then we offer information. So we have propaganda of all forms to talk about amateur radio and Aries and all the all the stuff to go with that. And then, of course, there's the menu. Because you got to have food. Otherwise, what kind of an event is it? I was going to say there better be yeah. food with this oh, event. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah we, we usually appoint a food coordinator specifically to make sure that, you know. And in this last um, event that you guys did, your last field day, mm-hmm. I heard that there was a keg of root beer. Yes, I, I put up a keg of point root beer for the event. And, <laughs> we, and there we was were, root beer floats throughout yes. the day. Yeah. We, we were debating selling keg stands of root beer, but we figured out that it was so doggone foamy, we didn't want it to get really sick, so it was kind of hard to, to not want to do that. You need to keep your keg colder. Yeah, that was the issue we kept running into. Was it was it was warm enough outside, even though we, we did learn that we should think about building an arc for next year's field day because it was raining so on hard the whole day, that it was still really warm, so it was it was a battle keeping everything comfortable temps. And that's so Menards the- sells a kegerator. Ooh. So mm-hmm. you might want to look into getting that for your next uh you beer float party. Well, we've got a year because field day is the end of June. Fourth full weekend in June every year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is winter field day. Yes, and there's winter field day. Winter field day started as, in Canada, as the FYBO winter contest. FYBO stood for freeze your buns off because it was... Basically, it was the dead of winter, and you're supposed to set up and get on the air. And if you're outside jackpot, I guess in Canada you set up in your igloo or something. I don't know. But uh, I was going to say, were you putting up the uh, the tents outside and uh, yeah, trying to figure a way to stay warm? That's what some of them do. But a lot of people, and it's it's kind of interesting for Winterfield Day because Wisconsin is charitably very cold in late January. Then you have stations in Florida where they're set up on the beach of the Atlantic Ocean working winter field day. So it's... Oh, the the poor souls. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is a trip to Florida for winter field day. Yeah. Right. And, th- and then we have to make a point to take the radio with us yeah. and make one contact back to the state. Yes. Well, and I hear that we While can on the beach. pretend that we're in another country. So, I mean, we could say that we're in Wisconsin. Right, I don't think be you want me. On the beach. I don't think you want me to buy the enough equipment to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, that but gets expensive fast. <laughs> <laughs> but then you've got the option of soda, iota, and poda. Soda is summits on the air. Iota is islands on the air, and poda is parks on the air. Now the running joke is you have Dota, dunks on the air for your Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> locations, and Katoda, quick trips on the air. So if you're Wisconsinite, you, you know how that all works at the quick trip stores. And but, we also want to do Floda, fro- yes. frozen lakes on yes. the air. Yeah. And then there's Woda, sure. too, Walmart on the air. Ooh. And all of the, in, in jest, we talk about the quick trips and all that stuff, but... It, with Poda, Iota, Soda, you know, things like that, it's the same premise. You set up kind of outside of your comfort zone and make contacts, and some people are 
big into that where they want to make as many contacts as they can and try to win awards and other people get up just to make sure this stuff works. And that's another fun part of it too, because you can set up and work at will. So the, the summits on the air is essentially where you take your radio gear in your backpack and run up a mountain to the summit, <clears throat> set up your little station and try to make contacts. Uh, parks on the air is national parks or state parks? State and national. Both. Okay. Yep. And so the, can you do two at the one, same time? Because, I mean, you can be at Devil's Lake. You can find this highest point in there. So, I mean, you get your summit and then you're at a state park. Close. It'll feel like it. Yeah. but So can you get two two for one deals? The program directors have coordinated certain locations and they've given them location numbers. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, you know, for, for POTA, and I, I'm not very familiar with summits on the air. I, I know what's out there and that's about it. So I'm not going to lie and say, yes, this is what it is. Cause I, I frankly don't know, but with parks on the air, it started out in the U S and it was originally NPOTA and it was just national parks on the air. But as time evolved in the last years, it became POTA. So it's state and national parks and they have websites out there for that, where you can look up a park you're at and a park in the United States is, and it's each park is given its own number in the United States is K dash and then four digits. So zero, 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 four, we'll say. Now, if I went to Canada and did the same thing, because it's starting to pick up internationally too. In Canada, they're all VE dash and then the numbers. So it just depends where you're at and what the park is or the park, national forest, national park, wildlife refuge. There's a lot of parks in the area that are very easy to get to that can aren't activated often for starters. But you can have a lot of fun and a lot of people know it's in a rarity or an oddball one that people haven't worked off. And as soon as they catch wind that you're on there through the spotting, you can make a lot of contacts in a really short period of time. It all kind of goes back to being creative and keeping prepared to be deployable with your, your equipment. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of neat little nuances to the hobby and um, it's, it's really kind of fun especially if you like to uh, deal with electronics and kind of play around with seeing what you can do with the knowledge that you have and then interacting with other people who are kind of the same minded wanting to do that as well. And you can grow in it. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that you start out and you do a little bit as you go, you, you, your knowledge improves and you start doing more with it. You might find your niche and that's where you sit, but you might just keep taking more in and doing more with it. So like when you're talking about antennas, you might start out with one wire, good enough. They might end up with a fan dipole where there's three wires all in one setup. It's still at the uh, at each end. It's just one tie off, but there's actually three separate antennas attached to it. And you can switch between those, you know, by going to different bands. There's multiple ways a person can set it up. Um, and then, you know, as it pertains to being a homeowner, you know, you, you just want to keep in mind, uh, you know, you do live in neighborhoods sometimes. And uh, so keep track of, you know, what, what your neighborhood allows. And, uh, you know, in the case of, uh, you know, when you do purchase a property, for instance, I would say, you know, if you have some idea of what kind of stuff you want to get into, maybe that's where you start looking at, well, I like the property that has, you know, maybe an extra half acre of room to it. Or I have large trees on what is there, so I can take and just drop a wire over a tree branch. Uh, where I'm at, I've got three big oak trees. And uh, and though I could probably run a wire over those, it, it'd be a heck of a launch. And they're in the front yard. So needless to say, my wife says, no wires over the trees in the front yard. Okay, I have to agree with her. So I've got these green colored pipes up on the side and right next to the trees that they blend right in. And so we came to a happy uh, medium, I guess. And she said, well, you can set up over here or back there. And so I, I had the areas I was allowed to go. Um, but that's, you know, it's a it's a couple decision, I would say. You know, you own a property, you both got to share it, and you want it to look the best. So, When you don't want the antenna tower to fall on something or your right. neighbors, and there, there's some responsible aspects with it, too. Exactly. Yeah, so there's... There's so many, and you can do different things with, uh, you know, I mean, there's people that put up flagpoles that are actually antennas. They actually make one, I think, commercially. 
that's uh, it's a vertical antenna, but to look at it, you think it's just a flagpole, but it's actually an antenna. So well, I don't know how well that works, but they have it. And there's solutions too for um, people in HOAs that you know you can do hidden antennas in your attic. Uh, people in apartments can still get into the hobby and do kind of downsized right. antennas. <clears throat> you can load up rain gutters too if he has a. I was going to say Ben did that with yeah. our first house. Was he used the rain gutter? Yeah. Well, it happened to be metal, and it happened to be sixty-three feet ish. So, but you're it, right. The attics are, are a big thing, and they actually make some small uh, antennas. You know that would work. Uh, you know, like the compact antenna group. Uh, that guy makes uh, a forty-meter antenna, and he can actually make a directional. Yet it's very small um, comparatively. It, I think it's uh, probably three feet high, and I don't think it takes up much more than uh, maybe the size of a barrel, as far as an area. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's interesting how much antenna you can get in such a small space and what it's capable of doing. You can actually turn that and make a directional like a beam. So yeah, it's uh, there. There's things out there that allow you to get around and work with you know the rules that you might have in place where you actually are at you know. So uh, it's interesting what you can do in the hobby though. It's it's such a wide open thing. It's pretty cool. And that's why I really enjoy it, and I keep coming back to it. Um, Personally, I started in 2001 going through college. One of the people in my course was an operator and his dad was an operator as well. And I'm like, that's kind of neat because I have kind of electronics background anyway and just got into it then as a technician. Right then they didn't require that you learn Morse code. And so for just getting into it right now, you don't need to know code to get into it. Um, and I think that that really offers a lot of opportunity for a lot of people who were, yeah. you know, didn't want to learn that language, so to speak. And then after I got married, it was like 2013, 2014, I, I upgraded to general. So it's like I came back into it. So now I'm into it again a little bit more. So it's a lot of fun. The nice thing, too, now is as time has evolved, the requirement to learn Morse code to upgrade from the technician level has gone away. So it's the theory tests only to to take for technician general and extra. It used to be way back when it was back when I first got licensed. So back in the in the late 90s, when they had novice technician and all that stuff, there was a technician plus level. And that was a five-word-a-minute Morse code proficiency. Then there was general. That was a 13-word-a-minute proficiency. Advanced, you didn't have to take code tests for, but then there was extra, and that was a 20-word-a-minute code proficiency. Then the early 2000s, about when Ben got licensed, that's when it changed to they dropped the novice and the tech. Uh, tech plus, they kept for a bit yet. But then... They dropped advanced, and then it was just five words a minute to upgrade. And the big, the big derisive thing back then was the extra light is what they used to call them because they only had to pass a five word a minute test to to get their stuff. And the very old school folks, which you know, old school's fine, but the ones that were a little more of the the inflexible ones, where they they kind of looked down their nose at the newly the newly upgraded people. It caused a little bit of friction, and there was a bit of bad blood in there for a while, but we've gotten to the point now where you don't need it anyway. And what some people are finding, and I don't operate cold that often. Once in a blue moon I do, and typically it's field day after I get dared to, but that's about it. But there's typically more activity now on the Morse code sub-portions of the bands than there was when it was required. Because back then, you were required to learn it. You learned it because you had to. And as soon as you got done passing the test, you had the brain purge, and that was it. And now folks are learning it because they want to, not because they have to. So the stress is off of, well, if I want to upgrade, I have to do this. And it doesn't happen that way anymore. Now it's an optional, and it's as much of learning a second language as it is anything else, because every character is a series of dits and dots, or dots and dashes, and you have to be able to figure it out kind of on the fly on what they are. Yep, uh, but it's 
part of the hobby that harkens back to its beginning. Yep. So. It's, it is steeped in tradition, and it's it's always going to be there in one form or another. Uh, Requirement-wise, no. But from an operational standpoint, there's something to be said about knowing code and being able to send it if things get rough. And here's why. In the Hurricane Katrina era, like 2005-ish, I think it was, Cuba was absolutely decimated by that hurricane. They were pretty much leveled. Well, on 14.325 megahertz, because decimal points in there, the National Hurricane Center runs a hurricane watch net, and they activate for any hurricane that's within, I forget the number of nautical miles of the U.S. or any U.S. territory. So typically, if Cuba's under the gun, the U.S. has their stuff going right because they're so close. There's an operator in Cuba that would always get on, and he was a very good contributor to the net, and everybody knew him. It was one of those where he was kind of the first line of defense to tell Miami what was coming. And they knew Cuba got blasted by the storm, and they hadn't heard from him in a couple of days. And somebody was, and they every so often they call him just to see if he'd answer. They figured he took a hit. They weren't sure how bad. And all of a sudden, they heard a really quiet little Morse code signal, and it was this guy getting out, tapping out his call sign, and I am okay. And then that's how they knew he was accounted for and everything else, and he got himself back up on the air. And it doesn't lend itself to obscurity of voice, where different articulation or vocal structure, it's kind of like the original... Mm -hmm digital form it's it's just a pulse of of the radio waves yeah well very good guys carrie do you have any other questions that are just burning in your head about amateur radio (laughs) no i think i got all the important ones out i I saw the no sale signs go up in our eyes here a little bit ago so Mm -hmm. i think we're all right it's getting to be about that time too for the end of the show so we've got a little bit more time to talk about real estate stuff after this all righty Guys, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Hamstudy.org. Yep. Okay. That would be where I would send people to answer your question from earlier. Hamstudy.org. Yep. And they can learn about things. You, if you, if they've got it in an app form. You can also uh, find it on there. But if you do that, uh, work on that, you can start working towards uh, a license and then uh, contact me. There's multiple places to get licensed, but uh, just contact them and or watch for us. We'll have something usually online. You, know, you can find us on there, too. Our Facebook presence is Wood County, Wisconsin Areas Races on Facebook. We can always be emailed, and the contact information is on there as well. So Excellent. On Facebook, you can just search for Wood County Aries Races. Wood County, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Just for sure, though. Because I think there there is a Wood County, Texas or something yes, like that. It is. Wood County, Wisconsin Aries Races is what you're looking for. Wood County, WI. Wonderful. All right. Thanks, guys. You are. Thank you much for having us. All right. So that was, you know, that that was fun having. Mike and Myron over. I enjoy talking about my hobbies and I, I know you enjoy talking about your hobbies as well, Carrie. I do. And it was really great to hear about, you know, ham radios and the different aspects of this hobby. And it's always nice to get somebody else's different perspective on it. Right. And I, I really think that's part of home ownership is, you know, you've got a, a stage in your life where you're you're home-based now and you can look at doing other things and, and branching out and exploring new hobbies and having an antenna in, in the backyard is, you know, kind of one of those things that, that tricks me up. It's pretty cool. Right. And we've always talked about how we circulate amongst our, our hobbies. So it's not every day that we do this. We have certain hobbies that we do during different times of the year. So I do a lot more quilting during the wintertime because we're in the house more. During the summertime, I do more gardening because it's better to be outside. I enjoy being outside. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and 
that's, you know, another great reason why you buy a piece of land or piece of dirt is so that you can do things like gardening and stuff outside as well. Right. Um, and also sometimes we go on the road and we do hobbies away from each other. So that's why it sounds a little bit different right now. Again, pre-recorded show. So we're finishing this up as I'm on the road and you're back taking care of clients. Right. Yep. So we're trying, you know, you got to love the technology. So no matter where we go, we definitely can still stay in touch with our buyers or sellers and each other. So that's really awesome. And we can podcast while on vacation. It's pretty cool. I think we should try that. We have to take vacation first. One of oh, these that's days. That's true. Maybe. All right. Well, anyways, so we went on tour today. So you missed tour. So I got to tell you about the beautiful home that we got to see today. Okay. And for those who are just tuning in initially, every Wednesday, we go as an office and tour new listings that our firm has brought to the market so that us as agents can get a, a real first hand preview and see if it's right for our buyers before we don't spend time with the buyers going through it sometimes. Right. And then on top of it too, the the sellers get a chance to show off the property. So we might be able to learn new things or different things than what a sheet of paper is going to tell us. So we always have a data sheet with the real estate condition report and a map of the property. But being able to hear those personal stories of why something was done is always very unique and it kind of helps us talk to the possible buyers so that way when they're looking at something they're like okay so why did they do this we would actually have an answer for them okay so what did we see today well we went to go see a home on north valley drive so for those who are kind of wondering where this is this is in grand rapids so it's off of griffith um back in that that kind of off of 32nd so 32nd griffith kind of in that area really beautiful property so it's a four bedroom and ben you might be able to correct me if i'm if i'm wrong on this but i think it's a four it's a four bedroom three no two and a half full bath house i believe so correct and because we have we have the master suite up upstairs right so it's got a nice little walk-in closet beautiful bathroom for for the master suite and that overlooks the driveway which is actually a fairly good view. And this house is located at the end of a cul-de-sac. Right. And it actually, on the backside of the house, backs up to a, a beautiful wood line. Mm-hmm. And I believe the house is sitting on three quarters of an acre. Right. And it, the backyard is all fenced in. So, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to worry about doing that if that's something that you need already. I know some of the areas have uh, covenances and restrictions on putting up fences. And so this is already done for you. Right. And the really neat thing about this fence is it's got the gate to be able to drive the truck and camper into the backyard. So that way you can store those items in the backyard. That was really neat that the seller pointed that out, that there are multiple entrances, one definitely for a vehicle. So that way, if you did need to pull a camper in or the boat in, you had that opportunity. So all the bedrooms are up on the second floor. Yep, they're up on the second floor and it is getting the main bathroom on the second floor is getting new flooring this week. So by the time that this is going to be be on air, it will have new flooring in there and he's doing some some upgrades to the home so that way it's perfect and very sellable. Right. I I know he was working with um, some windows that had lost their gas seal and he's replacing those. Yep. And we away. had two, yeah, we had two cracks in, in a window. So mm-hmm. um, during a cold spell, something happened where the window cracked during that cold spell. So he's getting those windows replaced. So come Friday, they are going to be all brand new windows. So we're getting, he's getting that repaired. So that way um, the new owner can have two new windows. He is one of the most proactive sellers as far as uh, that maintenance type of thing that that I've met in quite a long time. It's very mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah. So the, the main floor, as you walk in, a gorgeous staircase off the front uh, and front porch. And then mm-hmm. it's, it's fairly open in the main level. 
It is. And so what they also did is put in a reverse osmosis system to pull out any nitrates in the water. So when they bought the house, they had it tested and it was below what the EPA standards are. But him as a homeowner and with he having young children, he's like, you know what? I just want to make that one extra step careful. And so he put in a re- reverse osmosis system to kind of pull out those extra nitrates. Right. And the, the kitchen is very functional and I believe it's got a uh, an eat-in area at the far end. Yeah. So it's got a little breakfast nook and it also has like a little dining room area too, just right off the side of that, which is really great. And then what's just off of the dining area? Uh, we have a three-season porch. Very good. Yes. So I'm going to say it's a three-season porch because he did let us know that it's not insulated. So it has some very nice, beautiful windows, but the walls itself and the ceiling are not insulated whatsoever. So what he did is he put in some electric baseboard heat just to take the chill off the air. And that is it. So it's not a four season. So if you wanted to make it into a four season, we would you, the new homeowner is going to have to do a lot of insulation in order to make that into a four season porch. And actually, we, we started off this segment talking about gardening and that area would make a really good um, greenhouse for starting your plants in the springtime or in oh, the, yes. the, the late winter. And this house is puppy approved. So there is a, a doggy door leading out to that fenced in backyard. So there is a doggy door on that screen on that porch as well. Yep. And then around the corner is access to the garage. And then Mm -hmm. the half bath is actually the laundry room. Correct. So the garage is going to be a three stall garage. So the first two stalls, and then there's a wall with a very nice, big opening to lead into that third stall. So if you needed to put the boat on that side or the kids' toys on that side, you definitely have that room to do that. So it is just, it is a very spacious garage. And then two fireplaces as well. So one Mm -hmm. in the main living room, then another one downstairs in the den. Right. And then we also have a very nice storage area too. So the other half of the basement is is unfinished, but will be perfect for for storage for the Christmas trees. Right. And I believe he uh, recently within the past couple of years, like two or three years, uh, replaced the water heater and I think he did an upgrade on the furnace as well. And yes. yeah, it's, it, it's really good if someone doesn't want to put much effort into their next home and just move right in. It, it this really is, is definitely turnkey ready, uh, very motivated seller. So it's, it's going to be a great, great opportunity. I mean, the landscaping is very beautiful. It's very minimal. So, you know, he put a lot more time and an interest into the family area. So in the backyard and that fenced in area, we've got a very beautiful slide swing set area set up. There is underground sprinkling system. So if you did want to water the lawn, so that way you can continuously mow the lawn, you definitely have that opportunity. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what did everybody um, think of the house? I, I think the office would have a, a pretty good set of feedback from it. Um, when oh, I was, we all we all just loved it. We thought it was really great. Excellent. Now, are you going to be able to go back and take pictures of the newly finished off bathroom? Uh, we'll have to see. I, I probably will be able to do that depending on uh, time. Just when that happens, and when I get back into town, of course. Okay. So that's I'm just curious. A, yep, that is exciting. We'll we'll try to get uh, fresh, you know, information out to the public as as it happens. So sometimes mm-hmm. the um, websites don't get that information fed uh, to them straight away for changes. So sometimes pictures take a few days to change anyway. I, I know Zillow and Realtor.com have a little bit of a delay. Zillow is usually much more of a delay. Mm-hmm. But at least with the initial images, people get a good idea of what's going on. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a really gorgeous house. Um, looking forward to showing it to someone. Fantastic. How else is real estate going? It's been it's been good. So what we've kind of been noticing is that everyone is taking a little bit of a breather 
So now homes, you know, we always talk about homes are selling within 24, 48 hours of listing. We're now starting to see that window kind of open up just a little bit more where we're really looking at some homes are lasting four or five days on the market before they get that accepted offer. So when people are, are seeing that, that's not necessarily a, uh, a negative sort of thing. Uh, that's actually showing signs that the market is sort of balancing back out to what mm-hmm. we had been seeing uh, before 2019. Um, right. And, and we're, seeing, we're seeing more homes in price ranges too. So, you know, last week we went through and talked about how many homes were in, in our, our different brackets that we were looking at. We're now starting to see those numbers starting to expand. So again, I think buyers are doing the, yes, I want to buy a home, but I'm just not going to settle. I'm looking for something in particular. And so I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to see what the market produces. And if sellers are listening to this, um, don't take that as a negative sign either because we still have a pretty low inventory and homes might be sitting for a moment longer, but they're still actively being looked at um, and actively being um, offered as well. Uh, Usually full price, sometimes a little bit more. It all depends, of course, but that part of the market is still very, very strong as well. Correct. So yeah, we're, it's still, still going strong, which is really great to see. And uh, more homes are coming up on the market. That is fantastic. So anything else exciting? Are there any events or special occasions, anything going on in the area? What else would you like to talk about? Um, I don't, well, we still have lunch by the river going on every single Thursday. So definitely come check out Veterans Park and check out some really great food options. Right. And the, the Chamber of Commerce website definitely promotes that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I, trying to think of what else, but I'm, I'm drawing a blank at this point. We're getting back into doing open houses. So keep an eye mm-hmm. out for our open house posts on Facebook and uh, other outlets where you would find the open houses. I, I know uh, websites are, are showing those as well. I think Realtor.com is a good spot for that uh, as far as easy to find. Um, and Codal Banker Seward of course. So if you'd like more information on those types of things, head over to there or ask your friendly wheel tour. Exactly. All right. I think that's all I have. I'm, if you have any questions or want to get a hold of us, you know, definitely feel free to give me a call or a text at 715-323-2577. And Ben, if they're super savvy and want to email us, what should which email are we using? Well, it, if they do have questions or want to make inquiries about real estate, you can uh, type us a, a note to myrapidsradio at gmail.com. Of course, we're on the Facebook, taking messages there. Uh, a little bit on Instagram, and you can kind of check out what we have directly coming on the market. And um, if you're looking for direct information on current listings, myrapids.com is always a great place to go. And if you have questions about hobbies or want to share some of your hobbies, please do that. You know, we'd like to make it sort of a community dialogue. That's always fun. So send you your um, stories and whatnot, or if you have questions on how to get a hold of amateur radio or basket weaving, those types of things. Uh, myrapidsradio at gmail.com is a good place to send those to. All right. Excellent. Well, you guys all have a great central Wisconsin day and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.